But the thing is, when you step back and you observe and you take responsibility and then you can be authentic and independent and not listen to all the BS that flies around and not just now, but always learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I am Matt Roust, and today my guest is Tom Nicoli. Tom, how are you? I'm fantastic, Matt. Thanks for letting me be here with you. Hey, it's great to have you on the show. And I wanted to just quickly kind of introduce your bio. Now, I don't want to read a seven-page bio like we're talking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't have a seven-page bio. But so one of the things that you're known for is that you were the initiator of World Hypnotism Day. And... You are the recipient of a whole bunch of NGH awards, and NGH stands for, again, that's National Guild of Hypnotherapy. National Guild of Hypnotherapy. That's the oldest and biggest organization in the world uh, for hypnosis. Now, you've been studying hypnotism and personal development, especially, for over 20 years now. Yeah. And you're also a, a pretty accomplished musician. That too, yeah. Which I'm a fan of. And you know what? We're going to come back to that because I wanted to talk about that a little bit also. Okay, sure. But first thing I wanted to ask you is there is a program that you're working on that's going to be released probably by the time this episode is released. It will have already been released because I think you're knocking it out this week, right? And it's called Master Visionary. Master Visionary Coaching and the program is from stress to success. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Like you said, over, for over 20 years, I started out in the uh, world of hypnotism and grew from there. And then NLP, neurolinguistic programming, and many other modalities and into human behavior and such. And this is a culmination of all the different modalities and techniques and things I've developed and things I've learned and used. And it's more than what people think. You know, people just think, oh, so I won't be stressed anymore and I'll become successful. Oh, no, no, no. It's far, far more than that. It goes way deeper than that. But that's what it is, is I've gotten to the point now where no matter who comes to me, no matter who goes to any practitioner who has issue, stress is inevitable. Stress is part of it all. And stress is something that people have come to take as just a common thing that everyone has. No, no, no. It used to be called the fight or flight syndrome. You either got stressed out because you had a fight for your life or you had to run and flee and save your life. It's not supposed to be constant, not sitting in a cubicle or in your head driving around you know, as a business owner because all you could do is just think about the problems and you're in constant stress. And it truly, literally is a human killer, not just uh, physically, but even emotionally and you know, psychologically, meaning you know, with thought. So it's a, a very much needed program for sure. It's interesting that you talk about stress not being the normal. I mean, when you think about people in maybe who've retired or they're not in kind of stressful careers and stuff, which honestly isn't very many people, right? They seem to have a different way about them, right? I mean, you you talk to them and you meet them and stuff and they're just, they're laid back and things don't bother them as much, right? But they also seem to be able to overcome adversity and stuff better. When people aren't stressed all the time, they seem to be able to handle stress better. What happens is when you don't have the stress that is primary in your focus, then your mind can be relaxed and open. But, you know, 
just because we retire doesn't mean we all of a sudden become calm because then there's another whole group of stress that comes along because people didn't even think about it or plan or have any forethought about what it was going to be afterward. And one of the biggest mistakes there is you need to wake up with a purpose. That's why grandpa still has those tomatoes that you don't need, but he has to wake up with something, you know? My dad actually is just retiring right now. Like he's almost done. I think he's about a week from retirement and he's a teacher, teaches corporate strategy at a university in Canada. And my mom's retired now, but you know, they put an immense amount of planning into retirement. Right. And my dad's got beehives he takes care of and they have a giant garden and they have, you know, relatives to take care of and stuff. And so they have this whole thing all planned out and, you know, we go visit them and it's like the least stressful place ever. Right. Like you go there and they just, oh, well, today I think we're going to go pick some stuff out of the garden and we're going to make a souffle or something. You know, like that's that's the job for the day. And, you know, my normal day to day is like juggling 800 things that I'm <laughs> never going to finish. Right. I remember those days. So let me ask you this. Generally, our listeners are business owners, right? Or they're at least in business, like they're a manager or something like that, right? A lot of people have this sort of, they're almost like mass hypnotized, right? It's like the struggle and the grind is constant. How does somebody even start to break out of that mindset? Well, there's no one way, right? And that is, when I say to people, uh, whomever I've worked with, and my career has been vast as far as clients I mean, there was a time after national TV in America, we have a show Dateline NBC, right? And I was on that show three different times over a 10 month period. I was doing, well, I was, it was seven days a week at first, 15 sessions a day, one hour sessions a day. Then it was six days. So I was, I cut back and I did 90 a week. <laughs> My clients range from five years old to 91 years old. So I had quite the experience, right? But first you have to be honest. Because the idea is we need to become aware, but you can't become aware if you're in denial, if you rationalize and justify what's happening, why you're like you are, why things are like they are. And I, I was there. The beauty I tell everybody is whatever comes up, I was probably doing it or I was thinking it or I was caught in it. And you want to learn from somebody who's actually applied, right? Who's uh, practiced what they preach, as it were. So first we have to become honest. And that's the first thing I do is help people get exposed in a good way and then give them the tools to work with that. Because if we just expose people, we're playing bad cop, but we also have to now assist them and give them the tools they need to change whatever is the block or limitation, which is always self. Everything is, starts with it. So I'm not giving anybody external strategies more than I am internal strategies. But uh, the idea is that, People, and it's a weird part of human behavior, I got to tell you, and I don't know what the button is or the gene is in all the research I've done, which is mountains of it, but people have to be right. Well, that's ego, right? So even when you present absolute fact, they'll still rationalize and justify their position because they just want to be right. What I learned was I don't have to be right as long as I'm better. <laughs> that's true. And once that started, man, life changed tremendously. So everyone finds that moment of awareness on their own or in their own time. Because I'm not saying anything really new. You can go all the way back to uh, centuries and centuries ago where people were talking about basics and foundation and behavior and living and being healthy and all that. So there isn't much new other than technology and things like this. But I'm talking about 
you know, inner technology, human technology. So you got to be honest, then you can become aware and then you step back and you observe. And the way I, I say this is you observe what's happening and you own your shit. You know, you simply become individually responsible without any blame and any pointing fingers. And then you can do whatever you want with it. And that's the beauty. If you're borrowing something, you can't do what you want with it. But once you own it, now you can do whatever you want with it. But that's the first part, you know, and not everybody's ready. That's why I'm sure the same with you. You know, we don't work with everybody that crosses our path. They're not ready. You know, they're just not ready, though they may believe they are. I'm more often than not, we're actually turning people away. Um, I mean, generally, we're turning them away to other resources that can help them, but they're just not a fit for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you get to that point. And I think a lot of people in business think you've got to try and take every dollar that comes in the door, which is hurting your business. That's desperation. That's the act of desperation, which is a bad energy. Yeah. Well, it's not only bad energy, it's bad business because... You're, you know, chasing nickels around a $20 bill, right? Pareto principle, man, the 80-20 rule. 20% of your people give you 80% of your income, but most people chase the 80%, don't they? And you don't want to be spending your time on the people who pay you no money and use up all your time. Bingo. Versus, you know, helping somebody who's going to appreciate what you're doing. They understand the value of the service. They don't barter and, you know, look for a deal. They're like, okay, that's what it is. I'm in or I'm out. That's all. Right. And it's funny you were talking about, you know, how you got to own your shit. Right. I was listening to Donald Miller's podcast. This was a couple of years ago now, but he said he likes to play this game called How Is This My Fault? (laughs) No matter what happens in his business, right, or his personal life, he says, how did I make this happen or how did I let this happen or allow this to happen? And that way, you know, it's no longer a function of being a victim. It's how can I make changes to turn this you know, my business or my life around in a direction that I want. Right. You know, blame is one of the biggest impediments. It's the biggest limitation that people have, you know, that procrastination. Right. And I used to do it. I mean, I'm telling you, when I say I came from the other side of the street, I'm not joking, man. I was brought up old school, triple decker, Boston, you know, just like Goodwill hunting, low income, the whole bit, bar rooms and hanging and all that. Right. And I remember when I was, I mean, grinding, oh my God. And that's one of the biggest mistakes right there. The grind that we're, like you said, mass hypnotized to believe in our culture, especially, you know, you, you just sacrifice your whole life to get somewhere. And once you get there, you realize, well, then not, it's not what it's about. It was about what I missed, all the living. But I remember saying to uh, now my ex, my son's 28. So he was probably about seven or eight. I said, you know, well, the people we know at houses, they got them from their parents and they got a good deal or passed down. Or at that time, back in the early 90s, there was that phrase, dink, double income, no children. Right. No kids. Yeah. Right. So they had two incomes and we have one because we live pretty much old school, stereotypical. She stayed home. I work that kind of deal. Right. Because we wanted our kid brought up by her or by us. Right. And then I got to a point where, you know what, this is bullshit. Not everybody got it that way. So I stopped even having that as a thought. And I just took responsibility for whatever's going to happen is on me. Plus, that's the way it went my whole life anyway. There was no one to turn to. My parents didn't have anything. And I was the oldest and all that, you know. So I used to say to my ex, when she'd wait for her father to pick her up to go food shopping on a Friday, I'd say, here, think of it like this. 
Let's say we live in the middle of Oklahoma. You don't know anybody. How are you going to get shopping? Now what? That's how to think, man. Because when you put yourself there, you'd be shocked at what this internal thing can feed you. But you have to get there. It's like the David Goggins mentality. He's like, not until you broke, not until you broke yourself, not until you went into that wall so hard can you find the door in that wall. What's well, the same thing in the mind as far as solutions, man? When you accept the responsibility, when you are saying, okay, I own it, you know, there's an answer in here and I'm open to it, it really shows up. For sure it does. And a lot of people talk about grinding and hustle and stuff like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with grinding from the standpoint of these are all the things that need to be done repeatedly to get to where I want to go. I think that kind of hustle, that kind of grind is important. That's called consistent application. The grinding is the, I'm pushing a boulder that's going nowhere. The grinding is, I've been doing this for so many years yet, I can't get ahead. What's the deal? And then keep doing it because you don't know an option or an alternative. But work ethic, yes, absolutely. Like, I don't uh, do tar and gravel roofing anymore, which wasn't fun as a redhead, believe me, in those kind of jobs, I did all that, right? I mean, I've done it, man, loading trucks by hand on a dock a whole bit. But I will put in maybe, I mean, not often anymore, but if when I need to, like the new program I did, I'll sit for 11 hours maybe and realize, man, I'm getting freaking hungry. And then it's, oh, it's 8 p.m. Because I don't eat until 4 p.m., right? Then all of them realize, well, it's 8 o'clock. No wonder why I'm so hungry. <laughs> but the work ethic, yes, that kind of, a, let's say, grind or application, but I, I, I think of consistent application differently. It, you know, it's not with the bitterness, right? That's what grind is for struggle, bitterness. You got to get out there and grind. No, no, I got to go out there and apply myself and enjoy the process. There's an interesting thing that I was listening to the other day. Seth Godin was talking about the changes to work and what is considered work now. And I think kind of his angle on it was that right now, the only thing that you learn by making a good resume and, and going to interviews is how to be good at making resumes and doing interviews. That's right. And doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be good at your job or like it. But if you build a body of work, then your body of work is your resume. And then you are selected based on your skills and your experience rather than, you know, a piece of paper. I mean, no one reads resumes anymore, right? The computer reads them for you. That sounds too. Don't tell me, show me. Right. It's true. I don't want to hear about it. I want to see it. Show me. You know what? Funny thing about the resume thing, just while I was talking about it, this honestly has nothing to do with you. I just thought I'd bring it up because it was interesting. So a friend of mine has been applying for jobs in Canada recently because he's he's working for an oil company or oil exploration company. And they went out of business, obviously, because the price of oil is in the toilet. He applied for a resume and it gave them a number back. It said, oh, you're a 30 percent match for this position. And he's like, well, what does that mean? Right. Nobody's looked at it yet. It's just a computer. I said, well, here's what you got to do. You take the actual description of the job. You put it on the last page of your resume and put it in white on a white background and then upload it again. He uploads it again. He says he's a 97 percent match for the job. There you go. And then I just found out he got an interview from them. Here's what you do, people. Take the job description, put it on a white background on the bottom of your resume. It's called ghosting. We used to do it in SEO in the 90s. <laughs> and you also use their keywords, not yours. Yeah, use their keywords, not yours. So let me ask you this completely different question. Okay. Almost everyone that I know 
who has been successful as an entrepreneur is some kind of artist. They are a painter. They're a musician. They're a writer, you know, like maybe they're, you know, an actor, right? There's, there's always some kind of art attached to their life. Do you think that there's a connection between successful entrepreneurs and being artistic or creative? Absolutely. Because the artistic person's creative. And as an entrepreneur, you need to be creative. So that creativity, you just bring to a different table. And me as a writer, I've got a couple of books, one's internationally published. I've written books for women I was dating, you know, a one-off, write poetry, a prose, do it online, have it printed. And I go, hey, there's one of these in the world. So that creativity I bring to the work I do. You know, when you sit back, you go, okay, how do I go about this or the next thing to be what would that next thing to do plus you also understand the creative process so you don't force and you don't get all tight and tense you realize that doesn't work so it definitely lends itself absolutely just from that point of view the other part is an artist is more than individual right that's why not everybody can be a good number one guy or girl woman man I remember I had somebody work for me. I used to have an office in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, and I worked with people online. So I had a woman work for me for a while. She owned two different offices. And I said, why do you want to work for me? She says, I'm a great number two person, but I suck as a number one person. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good to know where you are, right? Yeah. Well, she knew herself, right? She owned it. Right. So the other part is, you know, when I'm sitting in a room recording or just playing and it's two, three hours later. Well, nobody had me do that. I had no supervisor. I didn't have anyone pushing me. That was just something I'd become conditioned to do. Just like any kind of artist, you know, whatever the medium may be, be it musical or painting or whatever, writing, you know, we spend a lot of time in our own head, don't we? People like that. Uh, and not forcing, not pressuring, not, not fighting. It's more observing, more dabbling, you know, more of that. And an entrepreneur will benefit greatly from that kind of a mindset. Yeah, I think in any kind of art, there's kind of an experimental phase, right? There's always like you kind of have to learn some fundamentals, how it works, how to play your instrument, how to paint, whatever, right? But then there's this like experimental phase where you're trying to learn how you want to express your voice through the medium that you're using. And I think that that lends itself really well to entrepreneurship, right? Is how do I want to be of service to my customers? Well, or- my USP, right? <laughs> now, this is not to say, folks, that if you're not a, a musician or an artist, that you can't be a good entrepreneur. It's just that it's a, an advantage. Yeah. And I think that if you are not any kind of artist, I think it's worth picking up. There's no rule that says you are born without any artistic skill. People just think that. Well, let's use the word creative. That could sway people in a different way. Let's just say creative. Now, we're born from the source of creation. We're from the source of creation, that which created all. Whatever you believe or, or want to uh, think about in that you know regard. So there's creativity within us all. Like some people do magic with wood. You know, I look and I go, holy crap. Like, how did they do that? Yeah, it's amazing. You know what I mean? Or, or some rock, you know, sculpting. and Or, I don't know, maybe it's just design. When I look at a bare room, I don't have, though I'm so creative, I look at an empty room and I'm like, yeah, I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't see that same thing. <laughs> 
my God, that's beautiful. So we all have creativity. And an entrepreneur is a creative being. You know, we're being creative in a different way. Creating a company, we're creating programs, we're, you know. Talking about, about creativity, I think creativity is a learned skill. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that what you're saying is true. Everybody has creativity, but I think, yeah, you need to practice and you need to hone that skill. And I was talking about this uh, on my newsletter last week, actually. I was writing about how, actually, the story in it is how I ended up getting locked in my high school because the band teacher used to let me play drums in, in school after when school was over. And it got so common that I was always there that eventually they just left and forgot I was there. <laughs> right. And it ended up, I ended up getting a key to the school so I could go play in the band room whenever I wanted. Wow. And the, the idea behind it is that not only showing up consistently made me, you know, better at playing the drums. Right. But showing up consistently and being trustworthy built the trust that I needed for them to give me a key to the school. I mean, the only people that had a key to the school was a handful of teachers, the administration, the janitorial staff, and me. Well, that's a great story to tell when you want to just teach people to show up, right? Because what I say, never mind, you know, get up, dress up, show up, just show up and the rest will take care of itself. So you showed up consistently and then you needed access and the rest took care of itself. You didn't think of getting a key, but things happen. You show up consistently, man. Right. You just show up and be trustworthy. And, you know, a lot of times people talk about showing up and trust and authenticity and stuff. And and I think one thing that people kind of confuse with authenticity is kind of professionalism and authenticity seems to a lot of people to be intertwined when in some cases you don't really want someone to be 100% authentic. You want them to be like, professionally authentic, right? Like if somebody's having a bad day, like let's say today you were having a bad day, but today's our time to do the podcast. As a professional, I hope that you would show up and still give your best, right? And not authentically be like, well, I don't really feel like it today. So you guys can suck it on the podcast and I'm going to go do something. <laughs> Different things, but you have to use them interchangeably. Yeah. But then again, you see, that's the other thing. A lot of people cop out with certain words. They use them to cop out. So like being authentic is not, well, that's just the way I am. All right. So when I get angry, I punch people in the throat and they're like, well, don't do that. I go, that's just the way I am. Though I'm not, but I'm <laughs> saying, right. So some people say, well, that's being authentic. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Being authentic is being who you truly are. And that is not who you truly are. I don't think unless someone has something wrong with them or they need help, most people don't want to be violent towards themselves or others, right? There is a breaking point for people, right? Uh, they may not want to, but they do a good job. Of it, you know what I mean? A lot of people don't want to be the way they are, but they're stuck in what they've become. Yeah. There's also that sort of, I mean, if we bring it back around to the business world, there's a lot of victimization that people have that everything that happens with their business was done to them and not because of them. Let's go back to own your. That's right. You got to <laughs> own it. You know, it's funny. I saw this. I saw this picture on one of the socials the other day. It was somebody and they had had like a boot on their on their neck or their face kind of thing. And it's talking about them being oppressed, but they zoomed out and it's the person's own hand is inside the boot that they've got on their head. And they're trying to say it's like you're holding yourself down. You know, the vast, I mean, vast majority of influence is all staged. And people are too naive to get it. 
People don't want to do any work, any research. What they want to do is find one narrative that supports their belief system, and then they run with it and fight it uh, or use it to fight. But the truth is, yeah, like you said, it just, you know, just step back. It, well, it's like somebody was saying that the person on camera was wearing a mask, and yet when you saw when they stopped, everybody filming and the sound and the producer, nothing. So the narrative is staged almost always, right? And people fall victim to this. But the thing is, when you step back and you observe and you take responsibility, and then you can be authentic and independent and not listen to all the BS that flies around. And not just now, but always. I mean, there's always something because those that have power and control are going to manipulate the masses. And that's all there is to it. And if you don't get that, next Oh, there is so much manipulation in media. It happens on almost every level, right? Well, it happens all through life. Right. I mean, it happens all through life, too. But I think it's amplified. It starts with parenting. It starts with, well, yeah, it starts with parenting. <laughs> That's true. No, I think, uh, I think it gets amplified with social media. So the benefit of social media is also the problem with social media. And, Absolutely. And the thing is that everybody has the same volume. That makes the person who is an expert is just as loud as the person who has absolutely no idea what they're talking about and maybe spreading something harmful. And, you know, people may not understand the tie in here. Let's tie it in. So an entrepreneur is going, all right, listen to these guys. What's that's got to do with anything? I want to build my business. You know, it's the same exact thing. Stop listening to all the BS and stop listening to other people. And when you do listen to somebody, well, what's the source? You know, who are you listening to? I remember reading an article from a woman in a magazine who was teaching how to build a practice. I also saw the same woman about four months later post something that her and her husband need some financial help because during a massive storm, their roof blew off the house. Like you're telling people how to build a practice, yet you need donations for your roof. So do you want to listen to that as someone who built a practice that doesn't need your help financially? You know, so what's the source? So you go on social media and you say, well, I heard it. Well, I read it here. Well, that, that's not a good source. You know, you got to go to the source, man, to the reputable source. And, and it's always third party. You know, I used to be a four mile three construction dental technician. It's another thing I did. And I started as a delivery driver for below minimum wage when I was 18 a little bit. Right. Long curly red hair, being in rock bands and everything. But then I became really good at that. And I could just work wherever you want. And then I was managing dental labs. And it was the same thing. I worked for this gentleman who used to write books on implantology. And we never went to a seminar, an implant seminar of the company that made the implant or a dentist using it. We used to go to a seminar of somebody who researched three, four, five different implant systems and would just give us the information on it because there's no ulterior motive. There's no bias. Right. But that's what you have to look for. But unfortunately, people don't. They just grab what's there and they run with it. The source thing is important. There's so much BS in the how to build your business space and how to make money space. Yeah, go borrow the money from the bank, put it on the bed, take a picture, stand in front of somebody's Lambo. You know, it's, oh my God, it's so much manipulation. Yeah, it's a bunch of horse shit. So I'll tell you what, there's a guy, Noah Kagan. It's big in my industry in the marketing and startup world. And he was the 12th employee of Facebook and he quit. And he wrote a book. It was something like how I lost $114 million. I don't remember what the amount is. But Noah Kagan's superpowers: how to make your first dollar in your business, right? 
So you want to listen to a guy? This guy has started something like 14 businesses. He's worth about $10 million now, all self-made. Because like he walked out on his job, right, at Facebook. Well, he didn't like the environment and, and the culture he was in. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, well, but he worked at Facebook, so he has all this clout. Well, quitting Facebook, you know, 10 years ago was not clout. Ooh. Nobody gave a shit about Facebook. Ten, you know, most people didn't even know what it was. It wasn't even, it was just for college kids. Yeah. And then, and, and, but also the people who hear that go, that guy's stupid. I ain't going to talk to him. No, no, you don't understand how smart he was. And he didn't sell his soul. Right. And not only that, I mean, he's out there helping people build businesses every day now and talking with them and then following up with them again and seeing how they're doing and stuff. Right. Like I was, I was listening to Tom Bellew the other day. He's with impact theory mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Are you filming our Tom? Yeah. So he built a huge business himself. Right. Well, I was watching uh, some of it this morning. He had uh, David Goggins on. <laughs> oh yeah. And he's built several businesses, but you know what? He's not great at that making the first dollar kind of thing, right? He's already got money. He's building businesses that are already funded. But if you want to learn scale, that guy will teach you scale. You want to learn how to start a business and bootstrap a business and grow. You should listen to, you know, two old guys like us talking about it, who've done it, who both came from poor backgrounds and built it ourselves with nothing. You know, there was um, a conference, I forget how many years ago this was, maybe 10, 11, 12, I don't know, 12 years ago or so. So I'm at the NGH Hypnosis Conference, annual conference. You know, I, I teach a lot of classes at these things. So I'm at the bar. There's another guy standing next to me. He's from California. Well, he's in Texas now. And this guy goes, oh, no, the two of you together. How perfect is this? You know, I'm just starting. Can you give me some insight? So the other guy starts. He goes, well, I got a $60,000 loan and I uh, opened up a storefront and I built my office and I knew I had a hustle man and you know, pay that loan. And, and I'm listening to this. I'm like, wow. When he's done, I look at this kid, I go, do you have 60 grand? He goes, no. I go, you want to hear how I did it bankrupt? The 13 year old Ford Escort living in an apartment. And my first office was eight feet by eight feet. He goes, that's how you started. I'm like, yep. Belly up to the bar. <laughs> he started taking more napkin notes than I ever saw. <laughs> but that's how I did it, man. There was no funding. There was no money. I was already working a full-time job at the dental lab, 50, 60 hours a week, and working three to four nights a week as a musician. And then I started my practice. Yeah, I, mean, I was the same way. I was, you know, what's funny is I went, I got hired by a guy who's now a good friend of mine, uh, Dano for a sales job selling computers in the early 90s. And from that, I got another job selling computers. And so I hired him. And then he got a job doing tech support and hired me. And then tech support turned into becoming an IT information systems and information technology contractor. Yeah. And then I used that money to fund starting my business. And I still had to work, you know, 40, 50 hours as an IT contractor and then another 40 hours a week to build my business on nothing. My current business is actually a merger of two other businesses, and both those businesses were bootstrapped. But Matt, you kept showing up just like I did. It's, you know, the overnight success is somebody who shows up for 10 years. How many times you sat there going, I really don't know what to do. And like, I'm really not sure what's next. But if you kept showing up, all of a sudden it presented itself. And, you know, you see these people who you can almost tell that they're phonies when you start listening to the rhetoric, you know, that they're talking about and you've heard all the strategies before by other people. So, you know, it's just borrowed, right? It's not 
earned knowledge. It was funny. There was a guy who was getting interviewed. I'm not going to say who it was, but he was getting interviewed somewhere. I asked him a question, like what I would consider a fairly basic question for, for our industry. And he just like didn't even know what I was talking about. You can't be a company that says you're an expert in, for example, I'll say something like SEO and not know what a, like a 301 redirect is. That's like SEO 101, right? But I mean, you, you shouldn't be out professing to the world that you're an expert about something when you're not an expert about it, right? You see how the basics always keep coming back? Now we go back to that one basic and the foundation of what's your source? Is it theory? Like I tell people, I didn't just read all the books, not all of them, but a whole lot of them. And then tell you what I read in the books. I went out and applied a bunch of stuff and I learned what worked, what didn't. And then I even say to people, this is what's working for me, but it doesn't mean it may work for you. And here's here's some alternatives because, you know, there's a lot we can learn. And though it didn't work for us, we still know it, it works for other people, right? You know, it's like a medium, like some people crush it on Twitter. Whatever works for you, but at least know all these platforms. So again, know your source. Is it theory? Or is it, no, 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 this is the dude's story. Right. Is it theory or is it applied theory? I'm a huge fan of theory. Yeah, I want to, I want to hear about a with three kids who built a business at night. Not who read all the books is not out here telling women how to build a business. Right. I mean, what, theory is great. I love theory. But it's going to be applied. In- I'm a huge proponent. But yeah, applied theory is what matters, right? Generally, I am applying the things that I read in a book when I'm a quarter way through the book. So I'll like start reading in a book. I'll get some ideas from it. I'll go use it and I'll keep reading the book and then I'll go use that. And I'll, I'll kind of like, I work my way through the book. I don't just read through the book and then try and remember it all and go do something. Right. No, you can't do that. Yeah. You got to take a little bit of notes. Okay. This is something that drives me crazy. And you've probably seen this cause you've done kind of the speaker circuit thing, right? Oh, I've done a lot of it. You're out speaking, right? You got slides and stuff or whatever you're talking People are taking pictures of slides with their phone and they're like scrambling down their notes and then they never open them again. Matt, you ready? Here's how that goes. All right. When I start a seven hour workshop or whatever, I'll say now statistics show that when you leave here, you're going to do nothing. And then they look and I go, okay, how many people have a shrink wrapped product? How many people have a book you haven't opened yet? I go, I used to have one shelf on top of the bookcase that those are the books I was going to read. That became three shelves. <laughs> you know, you keep buying them. You're like, oh, I'm going to read this one too. And how many people have notes from a seminar they went to and they never, ever looked at them? So the problem is because of an insecurity that you have, it's a personal thing. Everything is personal. Everything's in there. Because of an insecurity you have, you believe that this isn't enough. It, no, it, it's not the information. It's you. Because if you go apply the information, then you'll know what's the next best thing to learn, not the thing you thought you should learn when you never applied this. And if you applied what you learned in that one workshop, you might have not had to go to those other 20. People are like, okay, I have an issue with my business. I need to fix it. So I'm going to go learn something or I'm going to go to a seminar or something. And then they go there and they're like, all right, I've done something. But they haven't fixed anything. Just makes them feel good. That's a pacifier, man. You know, go learn it, but now you go to apply it. But again, it's that deep subconscious non-belief in themselves. You know what I mean? Then there's also the saboteur where people really believe like this is crazy good information. But they think, you know, if I apply it, and this is deep stuff. If they apply it, they'll succeed. And that can't happen because they're not worthy or deserving of that kind of success. Or it's going to change their life in some way that they don't. Is that the point? 
they don't necessarily want. It is the point, right? But I mean, you can't be afraid of that. So here's here's one good thing. I see. I actually, you know what? There's a guy. Uh, I can't remember his name now. He is. I think he's a Scottish guy. I was listening to him on a podcast like a couple of years ago, and he is like connecting people. He's like the master. He's he's the world's best connector, I would think. So he does this seminar where they try and come up with someone who they determine to be somebody there wants to talk to them, but they are considered completely unreachable, right? And and the example that they gave was somebody wanted to talk to, I think it was Prince Henry or something like that, right? This is years ago, right? And so they put a phone in the room and by the end of the week, the idea is that they're going to have the phone ring and that person is going to be on the phone. And what they do is they do all these connections. Who knows these people and who knows these people? And they do the whole kind of six degrees of separation, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, they work through it and four days in the phone rings and it's Prince Henry on the phone, right? Because somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, right? Yeah, I've learned that in my career. Well, that was the idea behind this. But he, here's what he said. He said when he first started becoming successful, he was really worried, like, I'm going to lose all my friends because all my friends work, you know, construction jobs and hang out at the pub every night. But it turns out that he can still go out and do these multi-million dollar jobs, you know, that only last for like 30 days or something. He makes piles of money. He's out of town the, the entire time. And then he can still go back and hang out with his friends. He's like, so now I just pick up the bar tab once in a while. <laughs> it's not like he hasn't lost his friends, right? I flew back home for my mother's birthday and I did the same exact thing, right? The four different times I got together with people to have dinner and all that. It's just, you just take the tab and you roll with it. Not that they couldn't, but it's just, I just feel more comfortable doing it that way. You know what I mean? Because I can't stand when somebody says, well, I didn't have an extra drink. Oh, God damn it. Give me that bill. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I was like that when I was broke. Well, here's the other part of that, though. The truth is, when you start to soar... If you're weighed down, you can't fly. So one of the biggest problems that people have is leaving people behind. But you don't know everybody you went to kindergarten with. And you don't know everybody that you hung around everywhere with. And you're not supposed to. So a lot of times people hold themselves back because of other people. And if other people are the reason why you're limited, then you don't know how to live. A really easy way to do it is to like... When I first started to get really busy with my work and I finally got to the point, I was like, look, I got a kid now and I'm busy with my work. I don't have time to be out doing stuff. I didn't see any of my friends, you know, for quite a while. And like how many of them actually called you? <laughs> you know, how many of them sent you a text or something? Right? For entrepreneurs, if you want to stay with your click and you want to still be with your buddies and all that and you don't want to lose that, we'll make that decision. Make that decision. Plus, we also understand the circle of influence, yeah? The five people that you spend the most time around. Not that you're closest to emotionally. But I learned as a musician, when I was 15, before I could drive, I was playing the club circuit with guys in their 20s. And my dad was very, very tough. I mean, a badass. And he let me do it. And he told the oldest guy in the band, he goes, if Tommy keeps getting his A's, he can play in your band. But if not, I'm going to knock on your door one night. <laughs> so they were made sure that I was okay. <laughs> Before that, I was playing with all my buddies, right? And I was always the go-to guy. I was the best guy. Just happened to be that way. And I realized I'm learning nothing. So I started playing with people. I had to really dig in to keep up. So being the small fish in a big pond is where you want to be. 
Because once you're the big fish in a small pond, you're stagnating. So stay with your friends and realize that's what you're going to be for the rest of your life. So let's talk about being a musician for a second. So what was the name of your band? The band was Armed Forces. You can actually go on YouTube and see a couple of clips where... I did. The guy has the old, uh, he has some album store and he had a couple of our copies and he only had a few left. So uh, I posted something on his YouTube channel. He goes, is this the Todd McCauley? I'm like, yeah, I'm the guy in the band. But it was one of the things I wrote in my high school yearbook. You know, talk about manifesting. I wrote good times, bad times. You know, I had my share, Led Zepp. And being, I wrote rock star. And I've got my face on an album cover, man. There you go. <laughs> and I also want to be a published author. And I did that too. So the way I started writing my first book was interesting. I, I shouldn't say started writing my first book. The, the first book that I published, because I started writing lots of books. But the first book that I published, there was a platform that was kind of short-lived out that was called Blab. And Blab was kind of a similar setup like we have in Squadcast here. There's a couple of people. It was like a video interview platform. And Ryan Hanley from Content Warfare was interviewing guy from Publishizer was the name of his company. And what they are is a company that basically they're Kickstarter for books. Okay. And they were saying, if you have an idea for a book, you can, you know, just shoot me an email and I'll tell you if I think it's a good idea or not. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I shot him an email and said, this is my idea for a book. And he said, you should write it. So I wrote it. Cool. <laughs> that was it. There was no, like the decision was made. I needed somebody to say, yeah, this is a good idea. But you know what? After I was done that process, I realized that I didn't need him to tell me that it was a good idea. I should have just done it myself in the first place. Uh, you know, I was going to say, we all know whether something's good or not. You can call it intuition, your inner voice, the thing that breathes you when you sleep. It's so intelligent and it talks to you, but through feeling. And when you think about it and you look at it and you're reading it, you'll go, eh, there's your answer. Or, hmm, there's your answer. Yeah, or... You know, I found with writing, probably the biggest two things that you can do for writing to improve your writing. Number one is write every day or at least every day that you can, whether it's writing a short post, a couple paragraphs, an article, whatever. Write something every day. And the second thing was learning that you need editors. Yeah, because that's tough. It's tough to say I need somebody else to criticize my work. Yeah, they get paid well for a reason. You have musicians, you have a conductor, you have uh, TV personalities, you have a producer. There's a reason why. You have a team, you have a coach. For sure. You know, they can see that you can't. They know what you don't. Well, that's why coaching is so popular and so important. We used to say mentor, you know. But it's so invaluable that you can have all the tools, but you don't know any direction. You have no direction whatsoever, or you don't have some of the tools that I'm missing that will just really complement everything else you got going on. And it's just, sometimes it could just be a statement and you go, oh, I needed to hear that. Right. It's like, you find that one thing you like, it was worth reading the whole book. And you know, most of the time when it comes to the motivation to actually kind of get a project started, a lot of people are looking for permission and you don't need permission. Oh, you need a big F you attitude, man. That's like right. Quietly in your own head. Or I just say, you know, that smirk when you dismiss somebody like, yeah, right. And you smirk. It's that kind of an attitude when people talk. You know, it's like, I don't know me enough for anyone else to even know me. Right. Like, how, how can you know me? I don't know me fully. 
And that's what people don't get. Like, well, you know, so-and-so said, oh, my dad's really successful. Well, maybe your dad was supposed to be a lawyer or a doctor or a machine shop owner, but you were supposed to be a dancer. Just because it worked for somebody else doesn't mean that's your groove and that's your path, right? So it's back to being honest, being an individual, which you're meant to be. One of my lessons in my program from Stress to Success is self-first is not selfish. That's true. a big one. People are like, well, no, all you do is think about yourself. Oh, really? Okay. So who's going to think about my life? Who's going to do anything for right. you? Oh, my God. It frustrates me sometimes. But then I go, ah, just people. It's the way they are. That's why we're all in business because people need help. So the idea is you were born with everything you could ever need. There is nothing missing. Nothing Nothing. And it's almost like when I would critique somebody's website, when I coach people in my profession as well, it's never adding anything. It's always taking stuff away. And the thing with a human is you were born with this treasure chest you may call potential or gifts or whatever. It's there. It never leaves, but it gets covered. Well, my parents said, or my society said, my culture says, my religion says, oh my God, my, my ancestors say, okay, you keep having fun with that one. You're not going to break free. So it's removing the blocks and limitations in order to reconnect to somebody. That's why master visionary is we were born as master visionaries. Now it's time to reconnect to the master visionary within you. Absolutely. Tom, I want to thank you for coming on. Your program is master visionary from stress to success. How, if somebody wants to reach you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Tom Nicoli at gmail.com, N-I-C-O-L-I. And by the time they hear this, they could probably go over to mastervisionary.com. Like I said, we're launching it today or tomorrow. It's been a real wonderful process and the works behind it all. But yeah, drop me an email, Google my name, find me somewhere. Sounds good. I'll put that in the show notes. They are at hookseo.com slash podcast. Tom, thanks again for being on. Matt, my pleasure. I was glad to spend this time, man. I hope we get to talk again soon. You know what? We'll follow up with you and see how Master Visionary is going. Excellent. I look forward to that. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.